Have any of you ever experienced the, you gotta be kidding me, kind of change? You, right, you gotta be kidding me. Like, I just got engaged, you gotta be kidding me. Or I'm getting divorced, you gotta be kidding me. Like, it could be either way. So change is like, it's like a, a lightning rod where there's so much energy and it's how we harness that energy and what we do with it that makes all the difference in the world. When I was a kid, I had, um, I just, I was like a queen of change. I made it into a full-time sport. <laughs> so when I started, you know, going out and I met my two best friends around the corner, Don and William, and I had a new baby sister, new baby cousins every other day. And we'd go to my grandparents every <laughs> Sunday. And it was beautiful change. It was empowering change. I felt so good as a little girl. And the change back then was, what Entenmann's cake are we gonna have for dinner, you know, for dessert at Grandma and Grandpa's <laughs> house? That was it with the jello and the vanilla ice cream. And then when I was five years old, kindergarten started. And at five years old, I was introduced to, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you know, you should be ashamed of yourself. Five years old in kindergarten, I was like, I'm just coloring a chick for Easter. Like, how can I, <laughs> how am I not good enough, you know? Uh, what's wrong with you? What, what did you do with your hair, you know? What's wrong with you? So I couldn't wait to be done with kindergarten. And then, <laughs> then I was excited for first grade. And it was you know, Catholic school. I had the uniform. I love the smell of the leather shoes. And I met my new friend, Charlie, who sat next to me. And Charlie and I would talk. And I loved Charlie. And I used to get in trouble for talking. So I'd speak to Charlie. And then the teacher would say, stop talking to Charlie. And then I noticed that when she would say, stop talking to Charlie, I should stop talking to Charlie. But I would wait for the teacher to give me that prompt. So I would stop. <laughs> I would stop. Who knew? I was six. And so then she started to literally beat me every time I started to talk to Charlie. And that was my introduction to it's not safe to talk. It's not. And she told me if I, to stop smiling because I was drawing too much attention to myself. So between kindergarten and first grade, it was just, it was very disempowering change. My mother, who's very non-confrontational, though we lived in Brooklyn at the time, she went up to the school and she said, if my daughter ever comes home with another mark on her body again, my mother would do whatever my mother said she was gonna do. And, uh, but it stayed with me, regardless of the fact that my mother went up and defended me and everything else, it stayed with me. And I didn't know when I was writing 25 page papers in college, why I couldn't do a three minute speech. Like 25 page papers in lieu of a three minute speech. So I carried that don't talk in class. Like why, would I, why was I having anxiety attacks? When a teacher called on me in school, beyond the, the typical like you know fear of public speaking, if you told me back then that I was going to be here with you guys doing like you know public speaking and as as a living and everything else, if somebody said that with a you know a fortune teller, I would have just been having panic attacks and everything else. But at 25, one of the biggest blessings of my life happened, and it came in the form of cancer. It was non-Hodgkin's lymphoblastic lymphoma. In 1991, nobody lived of that diagnosis. Well, I shouldn't say nobody. Very few people lived of that diagnosis. It was a two and a half year protocol. And um, I was introduced to topics such as, if the chemo doesn't work as fast as the tumor is growing, you're gonna be dead in a month. Or, you know, these, these crazy surgeries, metaports and reservoirs in the brain to treat the brain prophylactically. And I realized I had a short, and then I was never supposed to have kids also. They told me, I, they swore I'd never have children because it, it was just an aggressive two and a half years. So again, it was just, you know, all of a sudden I said, you know, I have to figure out what's going on within. I started reading all of these books like John Kabat-Zinn's Full Catastrophe Living. I say this all the time. I say it all the time. Fabulous book. 
it deals with every stressor in life. And in the back of the book in 1991, there was a cutout for a cassette tape on mindfulness meditation. <laughs> I'm dating myself, I know. Mindfulness, I consumed so many cassette tapes back then. And, uh, and Shaki Gawain's creative visualization. So I married meditation with visualization. Before this blessing, I was just acclimating to the outer world. That's all I ever did. I just acclimated to what the outer world wanted from me, what they needed from me. I became what they needed. So life was basically just driving me. So, uh, I mean, there were just so many great experiences that happened when I started to, to meditate and visualize. So through this blessing, everything that I learned in 1991, I was able to carry with me through life. You know, 22 years later, I went through a tumultuous divorce and it was shocking. And I was, again, my, my identity was thrown into question. My future was thrown into question. It was exactly like the cancer diagnosis. And there was one day I was on, on my back, literally in the fetal position on top of a pile of laundry. And I was like, oh my God, I have no idea where these vents go. I've been in this house for 20 years. And now I'm fully responsible for this house and the three kids, miracle kids, that are upstairs at doc the doctor's floor would never happen. And they were only 10, 11, and 15 when it started. And I'm like, what am I gonna do? And then one day I just shed my last tear and I said, you have to do what you learned with the cancer. You have to go back and start meditating within the first 17 seconds of waking up, you know, visualize and, and, and do exactly what you did with the cancer. And now that was final in 2016. I've never been happier, healthier, wealthier today than, I, than, I, than I've ever been. So it was just so empowering. And uh, I mean, I grew a bit my business. I'm over 50, you know, like over 50, I grew my business in a year and a half to six figures. And if I could do what I'm about to talk about with you guys, you know, if I could do it, you guys, you could do it. You all can do it. So what I'd love to speak about is what came from, I now have two number one bestsellers. This month was just extraordinary. Like the blessings just keep coming. And it's all mindset. It's like when you have your mindset right, everything falls into place. So I'm going to speak about three principles that I talk about in my book, Work Love, which I absolutely love. And it's about bringing love back into the world, specifically the workplace, because so many people are just disheveled and displaced. And um, you want to hear about the three principles that carried me through all that? Okay, good. I'm excited. Okay. So the three things are embrace, acknowledge, celebrate. Embrace, acknowledge, celebrate, so important. So the first thing that I began to do was embrace my diagnosis. I went from, no, you guys are wrong, you know, take another biopsy, <laughs> do another MRI, you know, you're wrong. Only old people get cancer. It was 1991. I didn't know anybody in my demographic that had cancer. And uh, I saw the commercials for St. Jude's, but again, you know, it wasn't within my, my, I thought that was like in another world kind of a thing. But nobody 25, there was, no, there was nobody my age. So I decided I had to embrace what was going on because fighting it, denying it was not working for me. And uh, so when I began to embrace it, and then you, know, you just you become more aware of what's going on. And awareness is huge, awareness is key. So I treated it like a new best friend. You know, I accept you, you know, you're here for a reason, thank you for showing up. You know, I've learned so much. I'm now getting to know the whole inner world and so powerful what goes on within. You know, I started to learn about the depth of my courage, the depth of my faith. And it's when you tap into this, it's bottomless. It's endless. So that, that began with the embracing after the diagnosis and the whole, if the chemo doesn't work as fast as the tumor's growing, I'll be dead in a month. 
that wasn't going to happen. So, um, so I created a strong vision for my life. This is so huge. This is, and I talk about this. I'm all about vision and decision. This is so huge. Create a crystal clear vision for your life down to every last detail. Because when you create a crystal clear vision for your life, the decisions you will make throughout the day will not be wonky. They'll be in line with where you want to go. People without a vision, you know, they just, they, like basically life is driving you because you're really not, you're not sure of where you want to go. But when you take the time to write that vision, it's a game changer. It's a game changer. And I said, when the, there were a few times the doctors told me I was going to die. And I had said, you know what, Aaron, where do you want to be in two and a half years when the protocol was over? Where do you want to be? Because I started to learn. I had a lot more control than I realized than the doctors, you know, I trusted the doctors implicitly, and then I started to realize they, and I love them, that they learned a lot from books, you know, and that was basically it. And I started to learn through faith and everything else, there's so much more that I could do for myself that the doctors couldn't do for me. So I embraced it. I created a vision for my life, and then I acknowledged it. I decided to take my new BFF, my new change, out to breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or breakfast, lunch, or dinner every single day, <laughs> sit across the table, I acknowledge you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for showing up. Thank you so much for showing up. You know, my life beforehand, like I said, it was so contingent on what the outer world thought. And now I'm starting to realize, like, the more I got in tune to the inner world, the more I was sliding into the driver's seat of my own life as opposed to life driving me. I remember sitting in Sloan Kettering, and as I was getting more aligned with myself and realizing who I truly am, I had this moment where literally every fiber of my being was engaged. It was one of those like, I, don't, I can't even explain it, but I felt myself literally at that moment becoming fully aligned with who I really am. And every fiber of my being was literally engaged and I'm like, what is going on? And I'm like, there you are, Erin, there you are. Like I was missing since kindergarten. And all of a sudden I started to realize like, there you are. And there's so many people off purpose these days with, with the pandemic, with everything going on. Once you get on purpose, and I have the chills right now even talking about this. Once you get on purpose and you feel like you're fully aligned with who you are and you don't look to the outer world for validation for anything because you know everything that you need is right within you. And I believe it's God and I that we're doing this together because I really don't believe that I could have done all this on my own because my faith is so deep. It was he and I working together. And that was even beyond, you know, my Catholic school and the Sunday mass. Like, this is a whole deeper meaning, a whole deeper meaning. So that was acknowledge. And then celebrate, celebrate the wins. Even the little wins. When I was in Sloan, I remember I had a blood count, a white blood count of zero, and an infection they couldn't figure out where it was coming from. And they came in crying, telling me that I was going to die. You know, I was going to make it out of the hospital. And I said, thank you for trying. <laughs> Get the hell out. <laughs> Uh, you didn't tell me about the whole inner world, all right? Like, I know about the whole inner world now. Thank you. I love you, but you got to get out of here. <laughs> so um, there was a book on the floor. I needed to pick the book up. It was creative visualization. I knew I needed to lift that book up, walk to the elevator, and then at some point go downstairs and out the door. So I went over. I went to pick up the book. It was like lifting a car. I had very little strength. And I finally was like, stand up, Aaron. Just stand up. So I picked up the book, and I stood up, and I was like, yes. Yes, you did it. You stood up. I was able to. So that was a win. I celebrated that win. It was a small win. It was a huge win for me, but it may seem like a small win. Then I walked to the elevator. 
Then I went back and I put my sneakers on. And I was like, I'm 25 years old. This is, I'm getting out of here. But I celebrated all of those wins. Over the next two weeks, my blood count went from 0 0.1, 0 0.2, 0 0.3, 0 0.4. So I just needed one, just one, to get out of the hospital. And it went to one. And the nurses came in and they put the, the wrap on my head and they beautified me to, you know, to walk out. Walked out, got into the car with my parents and went home and celebrated. Life is so cool. Life is when you let it be. Yeah, when you let it be. So, um, so that's embrace, acknowledge, celebrate, huge. I always say celebrate life and you'll have a life worth celebrating. Celebrate life and you'll have a life worth celebrating. It's so huge and it's a mindset. So, um, and we have choice. We can either live from a place of love or live from a place of fear. You know, and it's, it's a choice of ours all day, every day. So when you live from a place of love, which is abundance and acceptance and just beautiful, beautiful things, beautiful people, places and things come to you. You know, when you live from a place of fear and the fear, luck and scarcity and the anger and the resentment and all that kind of, you know, negative things, people, places and things will come to you. So it's important to try to stay intentional about the thoughts coming into your head and stay intentional about making decisions from a place of love because then you're making decisions from a place of clarity as opposed to chaos. So I just love being with you here today. I really do. And I, I honestly feel that you know if you, if you can celebrate life, you'll have a life worth celebrating. And I also want you to remember that it really is, change is like a lightning, it's like a lightning rod. It's energy that's coming in, tremendous energy that's coming in. It's up to every single one of us of what we're gonna do with that energy. We harness it, and then where, where are we going to direct it? Direct it in the direction of your dreams. In the direction of your dreams. Because, you know, I honestly feel like I am the embodiment of change. You know, because I learned that the whole outer world is a reflection of the inner world. And that goes for all of us. I'm Erin Lay. Have a magnificent day.